0: It has been said before that the songs that we sing are really many sermons short sermonettes that teach us great things. And if we have been taught nothing else today and if we accomplish nothing else today, it is well with our souls because of the grace of our wonderful God, because of the kindness on which he's bestowed each of us the salvation that comes through Jesus the Christ. And we are very thankful For that salvation, we are very thankful for the fact that we can sing with confidence as we have done today, it is well with my soul, and we can rejoice over that. We can rejoice over lots of things today, and we are here today to rejoice over our King who has conquered sin, over our God who has created us and who has promised us a place where we can live when this life comes to an end. There are lots of reasons to rejoice. And we're rejoicing today over the presence of those of you who are here and those of you who have joined us on our website at godsredeemed.org. And for those in the parking lot, everyone who is here, whether it be physically or whether it be electronically, is valuable to this work. And we are thankful for the kindness that you have shown us in bestowing on us the graciousness of your presence and the fact that you care about spiritual things and the things that are important to God. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about hell and the truth of hell and how serious it is. And then last week, I, as you may recall, I talked about death and what happens when we die. So you may be anxiously awaiting what today is going to be. But today, we're going to take a different tone One that is equally important to talk about, not only the fact that as Shane talked about a few moments ago, that through Jesus' sacrifice we can escape the abandonment of our God in hell, that we can have a glorious hope of heaven as we talk about today. When we think about rejoicing, I want us to acknowledge that rejoicing is a very biblical theme. It is something that is written about countless times in the Bible. You may have heard the statement before that Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. I beg to disagree. Coming to church, not, not that Disneyland is not fun. But coming to church services, being with brethren, joining in song and in prayer, that's when we are really the happiest, is it not? And I see heads nodding yes in agreement. And just as this is the happiest place, not only on earth, but heaven will be the happiest place for all of us to be redeemed, we as Christians should really be rejoicing more than anybody else on the face of the earth because we as Christians should be the happiest people on the earth. We need to be people who are exuberant about our faith, who are excited about who we are, and who are eager about sharing that message with others. The word rejoice or joy occurs some 230 times in the Bible, and it's fitting that we are currently studying from the book of Philippians because it is a book about rejoicing and about joy. And I appreciate our good brother reading for us from Philippians chapter 4 where it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. In case you didn't hear me the first time, Paul says, I want you to rejoice. And as we talked about this morning, Paul, aren't you writing from prison? Aren't you writing from a place that is a destitute or a place where you are limited in your freedom? He says, Yes, absolutely. He says, I'm going to rejoice in that. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content and to rejoice in that. Yet let us be honest with ourselves and be honest with the world as we talked about. That indeed, as we'll talk about in our study today, that there are times that we are going to suffer. That we as saints are assured of difficult days. Man is born of woman. And yes, Job says, is indeed going to be filled with many troubles. In Job chapter 2 and verse 10, shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept diversity? Um, Not diversity, but adversity. But the fact of the matter is, is we need to be people who understand, like Job did, that rejoicing is important, even in spite of all the challenges that we face in this earth. Working to understand why and understand how we can rejoice is important to having God's plan for us in store. I want to share with you a number of reasons why and occasions when we need to rejoice. And some of these are going to be very straightforward and they're going to make perfect sense. But if you're not a Christian, some of these things may not make sense. And if you're watching today, if you're present today, these are things that may not make as much sense if you don't have the perspective that comes from doing what the Lord wants us to do. Let me suggest, firstly, that we need to rejoice when we and when others are obedient to God. When we completely submit, not just partially, but when we completely submit to our Lord, it is a cause for great joy. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 12. And Brother Brian has started us in our study of Deuteronomy on Wednesday evenings. But I want to go back to chapter 12. We are not going to read all 18 of those verses. It would take us uh, a little bit longer than we have to read through this. But one of the things that you'll notice and one of the things that Brian brought out in his study on Wednesday evening in his introduction and the uh, examination of the first couple of chapters of Deuteronomy is that there's a lot of repetition in Deuteronomy. There's a lot of things that are stated time and time and time again because we as humans, whether that be the Israelites who are about to go into the promised land Or whether that be Christians living in the 21st century in the United States of America. We are a forgetful people. We are forgetful and we then forget what we were going to say. No. What the fact of the matter is, is Deuteronomy chapter 12, those first 18 verses. Did you notice this? Moses records the phrase, you shall, 18 times. If you go back and read it and count it, you'll see if I'm correct or not. But as you know, I like counting. And so they go back and read it and check to see if that's the case or so. What is that teaching us? Well, let's just look at a couple of those things. That the result of such submission, you shall do this, you shall do this, you shall not do this, you shall not do that, is clear. Go back to verse 7 of chapter 12. There you shall eat before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Did you notice one of the things that we shall do? We shall rejoice. Then go down to verse 12 of the text. He says, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. God, what is it that you want from us? Well, what is it that God wants from us? What is it that God wanted from them? He wanted them to rejoice, to be a people who were happy and who were elated and who were excited. And then the last verse of the text, in verse 18 in that first paragraph But you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses. You and your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite with your gates. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all to which you put your hands. He says that at the beginning. He says that at the end. He says it in the middle. On and on and on in the Old Testament. And even in the New Testament, we are told about the importance of rejoicing before God when we do what he asks us to do. And the same is true when we think about what others do. We rejoice when we see the righteousness of brothers and sisters in Christ. When we obey God. For this kind of submission to be possible, wherein it leads to rejoicing, we have to have complete trust in God. I want to go back to the book of Psalms. And I want to look at two Psalms very quickly. One is in Psalm 5. One is in Psalm 16. I want to start in Psalm 5, just read verse 11. And the Psalms are wonderful for a study like this, right? Because they talk about the importance of rejoicing in God. And here in Psalm 5, verse 11, he says, Let all those rejoice who put their trust in you, O Lord. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you, for you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor, you will surround him as with a shield. God says, I want you to be a people who rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Maybe just four or five pages over in your Bibles, in the 16th Psalm, in verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. And then in a passage with which you are likely familiar, he says, The reason I'm rejoicing is because of your uh, ever-present nature. For you will not leave my soul in shield, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This means full faith in good times and in bad. And as Christians, we are familiar with the fact that we are going to have a lot of good times in our lives, but we are also going to have some difficult days as well. It reminds me of Solomon's work in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, in verse 13, he says, Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. He's saying God's appointed good days and there's going to be some bad days. You know, it would be nice if we could come together on an occasion like this and say, you becoming a Christian is not only the greatest choice you're going to make, that's true, but it will assure a life filled with no problems at all. That's not true. The problems that you face, though, in this life will be small in comparison to the problems that you face in eternity if you neglect the Lord in this life. And that's why the vast majority of those of us who are here this morning have named the name of Jesus, have said, yes, I believe that he is the Christ. And we were baptized for the forgiveness of our sins as is taught in the Holy Scriptures. We need to remember that the more you obey God, the happier you'll be. The more you love Jesus, the happier you'll be. You will never regret doing right. I remember parents telling me that. I remember preachers telling me that. I remember elders telling me that. You'll never regret doing right, but you will always regret doing wrong. And to those of you who are younger, who your whole life is in front of you, take it from those of us who are maybe a little bit older, you'll never regret doing what is right. But you will always regret the choices to do wrong. And we want to make sure that we do not have that eternal regret such that we would be separated from our God for that period of eternity. I want us to also uh, acknowledge that we need to be men and women who rejoice when others succeed. And sometimes when others succeed, it's hard for us to be happy. You know, when we succeed, we want everyone to be happy. When we get the promotion, when we get the new car, when we get the new house, when we get the, the new spouse, whatever the case may be, people are happy for us. And we want people to be happy for us. But when someone else has good fortune come their way, or they are blessed by God and they get the promotion or the good thing that comes their way, what about me? None of that good stuff's been happening to me this last year, or the last year and a half, or the last three years, or my life. Humans are very selfish by nature. And those of you who are parents of very young children understand you have to kind of get that out of your children early on because we are, as humans, selfish by our very nature. And we like to celebrate our own successes, do we not? But God wants us to rejoice when others succeed so that we are separated from the world. Go to Romans chapter 12, and you're familiar with verses 1 and 2. Every uh, Christian who's been a Christian for more than probably even six months has come across this particular passage where he says, Don't be conformed to the world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The point being... Don't be like the world. Be different and stand out for a better cause. Well, drop down to verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I've long said that the Bible does not tell us to do things that are easy or second nature. Rather, it tells us to do things that are hard and have to be learned. And this is one of those. Because rejoicing with those who rejoice, that means that I don't get what they get. And weeping with those who weep means that they're raining on my parade. But the fact of the matter is, is we are responsible for being one. And as we talked about in our study this morning from Philippians chapter 1, we are individuals who are united with one another. And as the analogy was pointed out from Philippians chapter 1, verse 28, we are indeed a team working together. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in his first recorded letter in chapter 12. And he says in verse 25, he says, There should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. So the way that I care about you is the way that you care about me. I just hope that the way that I care about you matches the way you care about me. If one member suffers, and we have members who are here this morning, who are suffering, who've lost loved ones, who have loved ones in the hospital, who have people who have lost their jobs recently, so we have people who are suffering right now in this very room. And people who are watching from home may be suffering and unable to be with us on an occasion like this. If one member suffers, who else should be suffering? Everybody else. Because we are all in this thing together. And if one member is honored, has great things happen to him or her, all the members rejoice with it. You are the body of Christ and our members individually. And again, I already answered this question, but is it always easy to rejoice with others? The answer is no. But we have the responsibility of doing so. Let me suggest a third thing that, again, would be very striking to someone who doesn't have a spiritual or biblical perspective. And that is, we are men and women who rejoice when we are challenged, when bad days come, when a difficulty is posed in our path. The New Testament, for that matter, the Old Testament is clear that difficult days will come for all people, but especially for those of us who are saints. But it is also clear in how we should react to those difficulties. Because in the world people will say, "Why me? Why do I have to endure this shame? Why do I have to endure this problem? Why do I have to go through this challenge?" Whereas we as Christians say, thank you, Father, for the challenge that has come my way. And in the words of Paul, I will be thankful for the weakness that has been bestowed on me, as we'll talk about in just a moment. I want to look at three passages, all in the New Testament. And these are passages that you are likely familiar with. One is in Matthew, one is in Acts, and one is in James. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 at the tail end of the introduction to this great sermon on the mountaintop, Jesus says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. You're telling me that when people say mean things to me, I'm supposed to rejoice? Yes. Yes. You're telling me that when someone treats me unfairly, I'm supposed to rejoice? Exactly. Now you're getting my message, Jesus says. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And keep in mind this, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Wait a minute. Did Jesus just tell me that I'm kind of on the same level as the prophets who were persecuted? And that if I'm persecuted, I'm doing the job that they were doing? I think that's what he said. Well, that kind of makes me feel excited. Well, bring it on, world. Philippians chapter 1 says, It has been granted to you to suffer. It's a privilege to suffer. Go and read 1 Peter, the entire epistle. It'll only take you about 15 minutes to read it from front to back. And you'll read where Christians are suffering tremendously. And Peter says, Be thankful for that opportunity so that you can suffer just like Jesus suffered himself. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, you're familiar with what happened there with the early apostles? In Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, you see, they got themselves in trouble quite often by teaching the truth. And they departed from the presence of the council after they had been beaten and after they had been humiliated, and they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. And daily in the temple and in every house... They did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. What did they not do? They didn't quit. They didn't stop. Because that would have been victory for Satan. But we cannot allow him to be the victor. We want him to lose and to lose miserably. And finally in this uh, trio of passages is in the book of James chapter 1. And again, these are not passages that are probably new to you. But in James chapter 1, verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, so that you may be perfect or complete, lacking absolutely nothing. Beautiful verses. Hard to apply sometimes, but beautiful passages that attest to the truth. We should try our very best to match the perspective of Paul that when there is a thorn or a stake in our flesh, we say, when I am weak, then I'm strong. I am going to rejoice in my infirmities because I know that God will bless me accordingly. So here is probably the most challenging thing that I'll ask you to do And the most challenging thing that I'm going to ask myself to do. And that is, next time you have a challenge, a specific challenge, go to God and say, God, it doesn't make sense to me. I may not really care for it, but I want to thank you for this challenge. I want to thank you for this financial challenge. I want to thank you for this mental challenge. I want to thank you for this physical ailment. I want to thank you for it. Because I know that there's something I can learn from it. When you get to the point, and I'm not saying I've gotten there, there are times where I do this thing in the box well, and then there are times where I do it very poorly, and I do an awful lot of complaining along the way. But when you get to the point where this is second nature, and you say, God, thank you. Thank you for the challenge that you've given me today. It wasn't what I was expecting. I didn't expect to be in the ER today. I didn't expect to be in the boss's office today with new challenges coming my way. Thank you, God. Thank you for it. Let me learn from it. Let me suggest also that we are to rejoice when we give. And now people in the world would say that makes no sense at all because when I give, I have less. And when I have less, that makes me unhappy. And when I'm unhappy, I'm not rejoicing. But the more that we give, whether it be of our time, our talent, or our treasure, it is good for us to do so. We are, based on Genesis chapter 1, created in the image of God and it is built into us to be men and women who are generous except we are selfish by nature at the same time. So there's this struggle in between us where I don't want to give but I do want to give and the more that we give the more complete we are in that process the more joy we will experience. Jesus famously is quoted in Acts chapter 20 when Jesus was quoted as saying, it is more blessed, more happy, you are more fortunate, is the word that is being used there, to give than it is to receive. I want to go back and look at one Old Testament passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. You may say, what does 1 Chronicles have to do with that? Except you're a good Bible student, so you probably know where I'm going here. But this is where Solomon had... uh, built the temple, or was in the process of building the temple, instructed to build the temple, and then men and women brought things to the temple. And we're not going to read all nine verses, but if you want to write those nine verses down and then read them sometime uh, later this week, I do want to focus in on verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, where it says, "...the leaders of the fathers' houses..." Leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and of hundreds, with the officers over the king's work, offered willingly. That's, of course, the way that we give, not grudgingly or of necessity, 2 Corinthians, right? They gave for us the work of the house of God, 5,000 talents, 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Whoever had his precious stones gave them to the treasure of the house of the Lord into the land of Jehel, the Gershonite. And then what happened? The people said, we're bankrupt. We don't have anything left to give. No, that's not what they said. people said, we're sad because we don't have any more of our jewels or of our gold. That's not what they said either. It says, the people rejoice. If you like underlining things in your Bible or making lines and circles underline the word gave in verse 8 and the word rejoiced in verse 9 because there's a relationship between what we give and how we rejoice. And that was true then and that is true today. We just recently studied from the book of Exodus and you remember that the Israelites had their good days and they had their bad days. And it was from oftentimes their own mistakes and poor choices. But remember when it came time to give Eventually, the leader said, enough. You've given too much. It's, it's, we've got enough to do the work now. It reminds me also of what is written in the book of Nehemiah, which we recently studied about a, about a year ago. But in the book of Nehemiah, there's an interesting statement that is made in chapter 12 and verse 43, near the very end of the book. It says, also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. Do you notice how many times the word joy or rejoicing is used? So that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. These people were rejoicing so loudly. And they were celebrating so uh, abundantly. That people in neighboring parts of the city and outside of the city could hear of their rejoicing. Why? Because they gave. The more we sacrifice of what we have. Whether that be our money or that be our time or our talent, the more joy we will experience. Number five, we rejoice when someone changes, when someone repents. Well, given the fact that none of us are perfect, all of us are going to need to repent from time to time. Sometimes that's a public (coughs) confession of wrongdoing. Hey, I've done wrong. I'm sorry about that, church. And I want you to know that I'm going to try to do better. Oftentimes it's private because no one else knows. Maybe it's a thought that we had. Maybe it's the way that we treated someone. uh, Maybe it's what we didn't do in service to our Lord. But continual righteous living and a change to a more righteous living is indeed a joyous thing. Let me look very quickly with you at three passages in the New Testament. One is in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9. He says, I rejoice, Paul says. Paul, why are you rejoicing? Paul says, I'm always rejoicing. (laughs) Doesn't matter what's going on, I'm happy. I'm a happy man. And he says, I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you were sorrowful and it led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. What's Paul saying? He's saying, I'm glad that you made a change for the better." And he's writing to a church that in the previous letter he had spent what we call 16 chapters really delineating all the things that they weren't doing very well and telling them of the ways they needed to change. John wrote in his second epistle, in 2 John and in verse 4, and he says, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth and we receive commandment from the Father. He says, I'm happy about that. And Luke 15 verses 6 and 9 tells us about the joy of someone who has repented coming home. There should be greater joy for that. There should be no greater joy, to put it a different way, for saints than to know of the righteous choices of others. And my question is, and and it's an easy question to ask and a relatively easy question to answer, is can we communicate that better? That when we see the righteousness of those around us, we share with them, we're thankful for that righteousness. Whether that be in a person repenting of sin, or that person just continuing to be faithful in his or her example. Maybe we can do a better job of writing a quick note, sending a quick text, making a call, or visiting that person and saying, You know what? Your faith, your faithfulness, your diligence matters to me, and I appreciate the work that you do. Because when anyone repents or anyone serves the Lord, that is an opportunity to, to rejoice. Let me close with this that we are to rejoice when we consider salvation. We sang a few moments ago and did so with great enthusiasm in the third verse, my favorite of the entire song. And we sang, My Sin, Oh, the Bliss. Of this glorious thought. My sin not in part. But the whole. What happened to the sin. Remember the next part of the phrase. Is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Right. When we sing that. We are singing that. I know that I am saved. That it is well with my soul. If there is anything that should bring about joy, it's to think about what God has done for us. And that brings me back to close in the book of Psalms. And I want to look at three Psalms very quickly. Psalm 9 and verse 14 reads this. Psalm 9 and verse 14. That I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I, the psalmist says, will rejoice in your salvation. In the 13th psalm, I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And in the 35th psalm, in verse 9, the Bible records, My soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. And on and on and on we could go in the book of Psalms or elsewhere in the Old and the New Testament. The fact is, is like the psalmist, we need to communicate to God our joy over salvation. We need to be excited about salvation. And there are so many things that we get excited about. We get excited about our sports teams. We get excited about our our kids making the honor roll. We get excited about uh, getting a job promotion. We get excited about going out to eat sometimes. We get excited about lots of things. But there is nothing that should excite us more than the salvation of Jesus Christ. That's exciting stuff. Because that's big stuff. That matters more than all that other stuff added together and combined. But if you don't have salvation, you can't be excited about it. That's the truth. If you don't have salvation, if, if, if you can't sing that song, It Is Well With My Soul, with absolute confidence, then you cannot be excited. If you've not experienced salvation, then as we quoted from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in our Bible study this morning reminds me of where Paul is talking about the, the futility of life without hope. And he says, These also, then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most miserable or the most pitiable. If this is your life and this is all you care about, and it may be that you care about important things, You care about your children, you care about your grandchildren, you care about your job, you care about your physical health, you care about others. Those are all great things, but if that's all you care about, you've missed it as to what really matters the most. It is well with my soul, and we will one day stand before God on the day of judgment and give an answer for the way that we have conducted ourselves Because we are men and women who rejoice because of God. Rejoice always. It is a command from God, and let's face it, it makes all the difference in a world filled with people who are sad and distraught. There are so many reasons, and I could go on for another hour as to why we should rejoice, but we've said enough to prove to ourselves, to prove to the world, to prove to those who are not Christians this morning that you need to rejoice, but only if you have the salvation that comes through Christ Jesus. If you're here and you are not a child of God, you cannot rejoice with the rest of us, but we will rejoice with you when you make that choice to become a child of God yet today by being baptized to have your sins washed away. If you are a Christian and you're living in sin like we talked about a few moments ago, and you need to repent, we'll rejoice with your repentance because there's more rejoicing over the one who comes home than over the 99 who do not need the repentance as is taught in Luke chapter 15 by our Savior Jesus. If we can help you in any way, let us know while we stand and while we sing.